Rains returned to some of the driest areas of the Midwest. It was too late for some of the corn crop, but much of it will see at least some benefit from a late season shot of rain. And it was, I'm sorry, it was just what the bean crop needed. Uh, historic flooding in Tennessee and now most of the country is going to be dealing with some extreme heat for the next couple of days. This is no fun to talk about. Cubs have fallen to 18 games below 500. Nats, 17 games under. Man, that turned ugly for both teams. I'm AgriTalk host Jeff Flory. That is Pro Farmer Policy Analyst Jim Wiesmeyer. Jim, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. How are you Let's, today? Everything good? Well, I want to ask you about the crop, you know, the Pro Farmer uh, crop tour. Now, when I was in Minnesota last week, and you hear this every year, I know, Chip, uh, the tour doesn't visit their region of the state. Now, yeah. I know when Pro Farmer does their uh, estimates, based on, but it's not the crop tour estimates, it's pro farmer estimates, they take that into consideration. Am I not correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The reason that we tour the areas that we tour is because we've got a history of touring in the areas that we tour. And once you get outside that, you start changing the consistency of the tour. And we, we don't know how that might impact, influence the overall results. So we've got our, the, the base tour, is set period end of story that's not going to change now if somebody wants to come along and add north dakota northern south dakota the red river valley central minnesota that'd be awesome if somebody wants to come in and add missouri and southern illinois fantastic we'll help you do it ask the guys out on the delmarva peninsula we've helped them establish their tour out there so it's it, it uh we've got our tour area it's not it's not going to change. And uh, yeah, it, but it's not like we don't understand what conditions are like outside of the tour area as well. Good. And, yeah. and I do note that both the corn and soybean figures from uh, Pro Farmer were above mm -hmm. USDA's August crop estimates. I think right. that's important. Yeah. And the, the big reason on corn in particular, I think, is, is something that maybe maybe USDA would have found it if they were doing their field observations in August. And that's the ear populations. Ear populations are up from average. And that's, that's the biggest driver in yield. If, if you don't, if, I mean, if you've got an ear that's going to make grain, that's, and, and you've got more of them than what you had a year ago, odds are your yield is going to be up. And we've got more ears than we had a year ago. We've got more ears, than what we had uh, over the three-year average. The exception to that, Jim, is where you were, Minnesota. Yeah. I've never you seen it look worse it. in the area. I was central to northern uh, mm -hmm. area. I've never seen it look worse, Chip. And, yeah. and that's why I know the farmers talk to me there. Because, so I, I think this perspective <clears throat> is good. Did you see a, a freak, another frequent comment I heard from farmers is the, the crop in some fields looked good, but again, mm. when you go out and, and, you know, you know, tipped it back, it, yep. it wasn't that hot. You, you right. Is that common as well? Yeah. And it's, it's as common as driving up to a field and thinking, boy, this is going to be a disaster. You get past the endros and all of a sudden the corn's got color back and it's a better crop than what you see from the road. It happens all the time and it goes either way. Now, every now and then you get into a field that looks terrible from the outside and looks worse when you're inside 
or it looks good from the outside and better when you're inside. So the, the spotty um, pattern of the rains that fell across the upper Midwest over the, the 2021 growing season, it, it is so evident as you're driving down the road and you take a look at how conditions change it, just within you know a half a mile all of a sudden you're you're looking at crops that are burnt up and you're into areas then that are really looking pretty good so, okay my last question chip maybe you don't have this but how many years say of the last 10 or so has the pro former corn crop estimate been above usda's august estimate not the final yeah i believe it is three out of the last Four, but we were on a string ahead of that in which the pro farmer estimate was below the USDA final. But I think it's either two out of the last three or three out of the last four. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of blanking on that right now. I, I, um, I want Brian to run that somewhere. I'm going to get the last 10 years, just for perspective, Chip, from the right. August as opposed to, I understand the final, that's what we're after, but I do think that it's a marker relative to USDA's current estimate. Yeah, I I, I do too. And and the we always talk about uh, the goal of the pro farmer estimate is to be within 1% of the final estimate from USDA on corn within 2% of the final estimate on soybeans. Now, but more importantly, at least in in my feeling, is that we get the trend right from the early season estimate from USDA. Is it going to be going up or is it going to be going down? The bottom line on some of the states that are bad, and we know they're bad, and even in North Dakota, because I've got plenty of grower friends up in North Dakota that say yeah it some fields are really bad but here take a look at this you know and they show me pictures of of a cornfield that's going to produce a heck of a good yield up in north dakota south dakota same kind of story so even outside of the tour areas where it has been dry there's still production that is happening what they just caught a rain at the right time or something like that and and uh so we've we've got to we we obviously take all of that into consideration, but to me, the line of the year came from a grower in Southwest Minnesota, uh, Southwest Iowa, Jim Roger Servine, and he said, "Listen, we're going to find out just how much corn we can grow on eight inches of rain this year." Yeah, yeah so and that's it, where those the, varieties, the stacked traits. Yeah, uh, we were told increasingly years ago, Chip, that the, when you the stack is going to get harder and harder to kill a corn crop. Right, yeah, right, you and especially especially when that eight inches of rain is delivered at the right time, you know, yes. such timely doses. We basically spent spoon fed that crop in in western Iowa and parts of southeast Nebraska for a little while, but boy, it's uh, it, it's got what it needs now. And and good grief, the uh, the bean crop this the shot of rain that we got in some of the drier areas over the weekend in many cases, an unexpected shot of rain. Uh, that's going to help a, a, a lot with that bean crop. Okay. Sure Let's thing. go to the news or the news that was and the news that is. You bet. Let's get to it. So what did you learn last week? We've got to start, Jim, with some real confusion over what I thought had become a fairly well understood routine, not process. I'm calling it a routine with the renewable volume obligation numbers. Uh, it, it, 
I don't know what it is about Fridays and the renewable fuel you know standard yeah. and EPA, but and then the leaks and things like that. And it, it's I had to spend a lot of time over the weekend, Chip, trying to answer a lot of emails and telephone calls I got. Late Friday is when both Reuters and Bloomberg broke some what I called, quote, news. Uh, but it was confusing because uh, those reports uh, by both of those news services, who are usually pretty good, they brought that policy debate back into focus for commodity market. It affected yeah. markets. Both news service issued reports that EPA was poised, they said, to send its proposed levels for 2021 biofuels, those are the mandates, they're called RVOs, as you well know, and 2022 biofuels, by far, far more important to me, for review by the White House, and they really should have said Office of Management and Budget. Oh, now, those reports indicated that the proposed levels would be either even with those for 2020 or slightly below then Reuters later, up, later updated their story to say that the levels for 2022 would be above those for 2021 and 2020 uh, after they had reported the 2021 marks would be below those for the year before, in other words, 2020. So uh, I put this in ProFarmer today uh, on, the, on, the, on, the, uh, on my column you know, policy updates. I just went through the procedure, Chip. This is just, now we're, we're, now we're discussing rumors even before it goes over to OMB. Yeah. So the, the rumors were galore uh, on, on this one. And it looks like traders are reassessing some of the early reports on Friday because uh, soybean oil, what, well, is that should. still up? It, it was up. Yeah. 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 It's definitely still trained to the upside. And, and, they should reassess it, Jim, and they, they should reevaluate exactly what this might mean and and where we go from here. I got to tell you, you uh, Pete Meyer is an analyst with uh, S&P Global Platts. He was out on crop tour with us this last week, and I had him a couple of times stand up in front of the group in Spencer and then in front of the group in Rochester and talk about the future of renewable diesel. When he talks about getting to 40 billion pounds of feedstock to feed into the renewable diesel market and where that's going to come from and how it is going to put real pressure on our supply system to generate that much oil to be used in the renewable diesel, it, it's shocking. Now, throw on that the sustainable aviation fuel. And how that is going to take another real commitment among producers to provide enough biodiesel or feedstock. I shouldn't say, shouldn't have said biodiesel there. Yeah, it's common. It's, it's, uh, but feedstock to produce that, a, that sustainable aviation fuel. We've got some real challenges ahead of us to make sure that we can figure out how to do that. I, I, I don't think. We're getting into a be careful what you ask for scenario, but I do think that we are going to be very challenged over the next few years to make sure that we can feed these markets what they want. Well, this is what's going to be important when EPA uh, ever, and I think this is going to come out by yep. November 30th, let's hope, in what they call the set, how they set the policy for 2023 yep. And later, and it'll be curious to see. I know that they should have a discussion about what you just said. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, th- there's there's been some real excitement in the soybean oil market already, and and there's going to be more is is what it feels like to me. And how the world markets adjust to this to make sure that we get enough acres of oilseed production uh, going to feed the food and the fuel market is going to be interesting. Uh, what else from over the weekend, Jim? Well, last week I was at the Minnesota corn growers meeting, excellent meeting there. They had good attendance. They had a number of Minnesota lawmakers, including uh, Angie Craig, and she's very good speaker. And I know you've had her on AgriTalk, you know, several times. And she said she told the White House, Booted Edge specifically, that they missed a golden opportunity by not even mentioning the word biofuels on their recent uh, uh, checklist of things that's helping uh, rural America relative to the coming uh, big infrastructure uh, bill. That's the human infrastructure bill. So uh, she came right at them. Uh, She also was visibly frustrated that USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack said he did not have authority for those very hard hit Minnesota cattle producers uh, to hay and graze uh, in early August, uh, despite the nesting, you know, uh, 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 requirements, congressional staffers tell me he has the authority. So we had, you know, we, we have a little conflict there, but Chip, I know you've seen it with different cattle producers in other States. They are in a world of hurt relative to feed. They can talk about the livestock forage program all they want, but that's money. That's not feed. They need to get their hands on feedstock. Right. Oh Yeah. Absolutely. And and we've already seen the cows, uh, the cow culling has already started. The number of cows that have come to the market N- normally, Jim, and this is one of the things that really kind of, it, it makes you wonder exactly where we're headed is the, the number of cows that have come to market would have normally killed the cow market by now. I mean, we'd be giving them away just to get rid of them. And we're not. There's still some value in those cows, which means the product from those animals is being consumed and used very quickly. Uh, Total demand is just, uh, it's very impressive in here to absorb the liquidation of, of it's not a complete liquidation, obviously, but a reduction in that cow herd the way that we have. Well, in Minnesota, they're selling more than a few cows. That was yeah. made clear to me when, when, yeah. when you know, you, uh, you know, when I talked to producers, and right. and then last week, Chip, we saw the administration announce uh, an estimated three hundred and fifty million dollars to dairy farmers to offset the milk prices caused by remember the abner- abnormalities during the second half of twenty, uh, you know, twenty. Uh, that'll benefit you know farms with smaller herds the most. Uh, uh, I would say right. two hundred and ten cow herds. So. Uh, uh, they they need to get some help to the larger producers as as well, and they didn't announce the four hundred million dollars uh, to to donate dairy products to food banks. That's coming, and then another five hundred and eighty million dollars is coming to provide uh, uh, aid to small and medium sized uh, milk through the supplemental dairy yield market uh, uh, coverage program, Chip. But perspective, dairy farmers have received more than $3 billion, are about one of every $8 of the almost $24.5 billion uh, dispersed to farmers and ranchers since the uh, uh, COVID payments began in May 2020. That's just perspective. Yeah. Wow. It's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, Another one that we've got to talk about from the weekend is uh, the Afghan situation. 
Jim. It's just heartbreaking to see what's happening. Yeah, you don't like your country to not only look weak, but be weak is what I said on AgriTalk Friday. Uh, In fact, it's such big news now, Chip, that I had to put another section in my daily policy uh, updates and I, I and I led with it because it, there's more unknowns than knowns on this one. Biden is trying to limit the damage control, both political and real because of the potential uh, de- real and potential deaths. So there's a lot of uh, head scratching on this of why our great country acted the way it did and yeah. did not have an adequate strategy. And we are being criticized by, by our uh, by seven of our international uh, allies, and now you're seeing, uh, you know, um, you know, Biden have daily, and he should, you know, daily briefings with this top national security advisors, advisors, intelligence people, and he's gone on. He went on national television again yesterday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. So th- they know the significance now, and it's showing up in political polls as well. Chip, his numbers are going down. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now's a good time to remind everyone that if you want to be part of the conversation, there is a comments tab over at the on the right side of your screen. Just click on that and you should be able to make contact with us and uh, we'll answer your questions. We will uh, we will take your comments there. Uh, okay, let's take a look ahead and that weekend, you know, what happened over the weekend with Afghanistan bleeds into uh, what might happen in the week ahead, because it's going to be such a distraction, I would think, for everybody in Washington, D.C. And all eyes are going to be on the House and Speaker Pelosi and her plans with the infrastructure bill, right? Yeah, she's like hurting her own cats today. And we're going to know something by this evening, because that's when the Democratic leadership in the House, of course, she's Speaker, you know, Democrat from California. She wants to hold the vote on the rule for the budget resolution. And that that's, uh, really uh, puts into place coming votes for both infrastructure bills, Chip. But the, the problem is she right now, as we speak, she doesn't have the votes because nine centrist of her uh, Democrats are saying they want a specific vote on on the physical infrastructure right. before the three and a half trillion dollar one, but there's more uh, far left Democrats. Some people call them progressives. There's 96 of them, so she's in a dilemma. But I'm not going to uh, you know bet against uh, House Speaker Pelosi. In the past, uh, she's pulled some pretty good cards out. So we'll we'll see what power you know you, you know thrust she has to use. Yeah, yeah. What do you think the odds are that this that that those nine centrist Democrats get their way on this, Jim, and we see a vote on the physical infrastructure bill without the. I, I'm sorry, I was on crap tour for a week. What are we calling it now? Because it, <laughs> it, it's been the human infrastructure bill. It's been it, it's had several names on it. So human or social infrastructure bill, either one. It's the big one. It's the go it along Democratic bill because. Uh, everyone knows now not one Republican is going to uh, you know, vote for it. And of course, it won't eventually be three and a half trillion. It'll be a number below that because of the centrist, you know, Democratic senators, at least Manchin from West Virginia and and Cinema and from Arizona. Uh, uh, Pelosi's prop, she knows how to dance, you know, Congress uh, steps. She may have a specific date that they're going to have votes. Uh, and uh, I don't know whether that'll appease both camps 
are not. I think that's what they're discussing as we speak, uh, Chip. But uh, I cannot imagine uh, the Democrats, who usually are in sync on on these major votes, by the way, uh, wanting to blow everything up. Because uh, they can't blame Republicans on this one. They can't even blame Trump <laughs> on this one, Chip. Right. So they're looking right. at a one, tri- uh, one uh, trillion dollar uh, you know, physical, you, you, uh, you, uh, tra- traditional infrastructure bill, and uh, anywhere from two trillion to to three and a half trillion dollar human infrastructure bill. Do they want those numbers to be zero? Boy, I I, I yeah. just can't, just logic tells me they're they're going to find a way, Jeff. Right, right. Okay, all right, uh, Jim. We're going to come back and talk about this a little bit more in just a moment. But there's a comment here that I want to address sure. first. And and when we come back, I want to know is is uh, on the infrastructure bill. Is there being enough done for the far left in, in the House to get their support for it? We'll be right back to sure. that. First, Matt Ray asked the question, can you guys touch on where we are with the CFAP hog true up payments? Now, I think what he's talking about here is if guys were forced to sell hogs at a sharply reduced price just simply to get rid of them, to will there be something available to them to make up the difference between the price that they were forced to sell at and what the market should have been at? I don't know how much of a difference, but yes, to answer your question initially, yes. I'm surprised it has not been announced yet. Now, the the rule, the the regulations, I, I've been told, and I think Vilsack signaled that, have been uh, approved by the Office of Management and Budget. So we're waiting for the official announcement, Chip. So they're coming. And, and this should also include whether or not and how much for those contract hog producers as well. There's a number of items in that. That uh, uh, you measure, a lot of which came about in the December release, if you recall, and also a January release by the incoming Biden administration. So we have some loose ends uh, on this one. I know it's complicated. A lot of times, I as as close as I follow this, I've got to have a grid sheet of what's oh, been yeah. announced and what has not been announced, and I may have to update that for pro farmer members maybe this week if if I can get rid of my headache before I do that. Yeah. Uh, but, but anyway, they're coming. You know, that's the bottom line. They're okay. coming. Yeah, and it's such a fluid situation, or it has been such a fluid situation because it. it when you've got the administrators of these payment programs saying, listen, if you've got something that you think deserves a payment, let us know. Yeah. Well, they're going to come from everywhere. And, and some of those, some of those requests are going to take a lot of evaluation and may be denied, but most of those requests are going to, they're going to make it through one way or another. Yeah, I think they've shown both the Trump and the yeah. Biden administration has shown, at least to me, that they've been very farmer friendly and rancher friendly, you know, when yeah. it's come to the COVID aid. And, and I think that they'll continue with this. So yeah. uh, I, I guess the the regulatory language was far more complex than most of us realized, but uh, they are getting close. I was told sometime in September that we'll see this, Chip. So we have a few more weeks to go. Okay, very good. Let's return to the 
infrastructure package package um is there enough in it for the far left to support the package that uh, whether we're talking about the physical infrastructure or the human infrastructure package well they'll they'll complain publicly if it depends on how much it goes below the three and a half trillion dollars because you're you're going to see a number of uh you uh, uh, far left you know, Democrats. Uh, what is that number? Uh, remember also with the return of earmarks, uh, the Democratic leadership can throw uh, district and state money at individual uh, naysayer lawmakers. Now, uh, that won't totally buy their vote, but it'll make it easier, Chip. I don't know what the final number is, but I'll guarantee you it'll be below three and a half trillion dollars. Okay. All right. What else, Jim? What else are you watching this week? Oh, gosh. Well, this week, it's all like today. We're going to see whether or not they uh, they have to punt on this resolution vote. If they don't have a vote, it could be late this evening. That means that, number one, she, uh, you know, Pelosi does not have the votes, and she has to really have a caucus call to say, we need an exit strategy here. So we're we're watching that one. Uh, otherwise, here it's Afghanistan, Afghanistan, Afghanistan. We uh, will there be an extension on the August 31 deadline? I know the White House wants that. Uh, will the Taliban go along? Can you imagine? Uh, we uh, we're, uh, we we have to uh, let them, you know, decide on that and other repercussions because there's going to be congressional hearings. The Democrats have been some of the fiercest complainers about the exit strategy that that's been an unusual mm. development as well so and how will that muck up chip and you kind of hinted at that in your intro later on this year because we're not going to see a resolution to the two infrastructure measures under the current timeline until sometime this fall october to mm. me at the earliest so that could be the time when we're really get, getting the true postmortems on the afghan withdrawal policy and the hearings are coming into fro so that could 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 impact some of these things. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I noticed is uh, with, and I'll admit over the last couple of weeks, I've, I've been in and out on news, uh, my, my ability to keep up with what's going on in the news. But as the Afghan situation has ramped up, the border crisis, news and coverage has faded to the background here for a while, Jim. But I can't imagine that we fixed the problem. No, but this shows you also, for, in fact, it's increasing, Jim. Yeah. It's gotten worse. I mean, you talk, even, even now the Biden administration, well, the head of the Homeland Security is saying now it, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a problem. Remember before yeah. he said it wasn't a crisis, it was a challenge. This is, shows you the news media, which we're part of, Chip. Yep. It yep. shows you the lack, even on Afghanistan, how for years, especially the last few years, the really the news operations didn't focus on Afghanistan at all. And now we're seeing some of the consequences of being so focused on a few subjects. I've always been asked by my mentors, if you're focusing too much on one topic, what else are you missing? missing. And now we're seeing the consequences of that. We, we really didn't do as a news uh, you know, people uh, from the major media, the 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 focus on some of these important issues in Afghanistan is one of them. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Did you survive the uh, 
tropical storm surge over the weekend, Jim? Yeah, well, we didn't get a bit of rain out of it. It must be north. And I know uh, the tropical storm now was not as severe, although it hit some areas and will hit others, you know, today as we speak, probably. But it wasn't as severe as it could have been, Chip. And that's good news, actually, there. You bet. Yeah, and then that historic rain in Tennessee, uh, some of the reports are starting to indicate that up to 10 inches of rain fell in an hour. Yeah. Jim. Yeah. I I can't even um, well, we're we're seeing pictures. Yeah. We're seeing pictures now of what happens if you get that kind of rain in in that short a period of time. And Well, President Biden mentioned it Sunday in his address to the nation, so that yeah. tells you the focus. Right. Absolutely. All right, Jim. Hey, uh, you're going to be back on with me for the morning show on AgriTalk. We're going to get the listeners an extra dose of Wiesmeyer here to get things started this week and make sure that ever, that all the listeners are up to speed on what's going on out there. Then this afternoon, we're going to have some uh, this some conversation with uh, Brian Splett from agmarket.net. We'll talk about the pro farmer crop estimates. Uh, we will talk about some of the results from the Pro Farmer Crop Tour. And most importantly, with Brian Split, what we're going to do is take a look at the technical side of the market. Because when you look at some of the breakdown that has taken place in the corn, soybean, and even the wheat market, Jim, we can't deny that that might just be the most important thing that is happening out there right now. Highs are in. Highs are in. Oh, well, the highs were in back in May. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Have a great week, everybody. Keep watching for those signals.